Welcome to this podcast series asking the question, can art save us? I'm starting the first national and international conversation about courage and curiosity. What do these qualities really mean and why does it make a big difference to our mental, societal and democratic health? I talk to award-winning and diverse artists across the arts to explore these qualities in their lives and work, both to inspire and for us all to learn. I'm exploring why we need these qualities to help change the global epidemic of mental illness, loneliness, polarisation of our communities and even global conflict. If the arts cultivate courage and curiosity, I'm asking the question, can art save us? Do enough of us think about our resiliency, our capacity to manage or coexist with stressful events now and in the future? Do we even think about cultivating our resilience for life's catastrophes? My guest today has foregrounded resilience in her recent portrait sculptures. Sculptor Kate Viner's exhibition, Resilience in Clay, represented seven people seeking refuge in the UK, displaced by conflict, discrimination and persecution. Across much of her work, including children caught in crossfire and female crucifixion, sculptor Kate Viner responds to courage, conflict and the brave optimism held by those worst affected. My guess is Kate sculpts with a sort of spiritual clairvoyancy. The expressions she captures in her sitters tell you everything without words. And there are those who have lost everything, even their ability to make eye contact. Displaced from their lives and families, their self-belief is stolen. Kate, however, makes that eye contact. She draws our eyes to those who are most vulnerable and whilst they may not be able to look, she ensures they are seen through her sculptural art. This is a calling, there is much more to it and when I stumbled into her exhibition at Chichester Cathedral to see seven beautiful portrait statements to humanity quietly holding their place, I watched visitors fall apart under their emotional power, but whilst grateful for the space of compassion that Kate had created. I was fortunate enough to meet Kate and invite her to the podcast. Hello, Kate, and welcome to Cannot Save Us. Hi, Paula. Thank you for having me today. I'm just so delighted. I know that you will be forever busy, so thank you again for making the time. Oh, it's an honour. It's lovely to be invited, so thank you. It's a very interesting podcast that you're doing. Oh, bless you. That's very generous. Well, Kate, my first question is your life as a sculptor, is that also a service? Is it a calling that you're serving through art? Um, I think it is in that I've never known anything other. My mother told me that I first announced I was going to be a sculptor age six. So that's earlier than my memories. Uh, I was speaking to an, an educational psychologist and apparently I announced to him that uh, art and sculpture was my was my uh, profession. <laughs> Which is typical of most six-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? We, um, you know, all, all children have the ability to be creative and be artists. That's so true. Um, that's but, so- but not necessarily announcing I am going to be a sculptor at the age of six. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so no, I think that um, I don't think you choose. In honesty, as you get a bit older, I don't think one would choose to be an artist as a profession because it's not the easiest of professions. So I suppose to an extent, it does feel like a calling because one doesn't have much choice. It's um, a way that to express oneself. Um, so yeah, I suppose it, in that context, it is a bit of a calling. So can we pop back to age six? Uh, what was what was happening? How were how were you able to begin to express that you were you were interested in in sculpture and 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 were you lucky enough you know to have a family around you that were that were able to enable that? Uh, definitely, I was very lucky. Um, I come from uh, a line of uh, creative people, um, but also I was. Uh, 
the reason I expressed at age six, I was very dyslexic and that was picked up at a very early age. Um, so why I was in front of an um, educational psychologist at that age. Um, but I suppose that to sort of um, answer your question, without I was very much encouraged and I was very much encouraged by my mother to um, to follow that um and she was a single mother, and so it was quite a brave thing, I think, um, for her to say, of course, you can be an artist. My mother always said to my brother and myself, you can do anything you want in life, anything you put your mind to. Um, you must you must do what uh, what it takes to do what uh, um, to do what you want. So I think she was quite brave in that context, actually. Yeah, definitely. And and it's such a powerful message, isn't it? At such a young and, and impressionable and, and formative age. So and I understand actually that um mum may have had the patience of a saint, if you don't mind sharing the example of uh you trying to understand scale as you <laughs> created <laughs> as you created art in your bedroom, I believe, at age six. <laughs> Oh, well, a little later than that, um, I think I was 11 when I started a, a life-size figure of a man doing a handstand in my bedroom. Um, I ripped up the carpet. I painted all over my walls. I don't know how I got away with it. As a mother, I don't think I would have quite the patience she did. Um, but I, um, I used a ladder which um, I hoiked out of a skip because I didn't know how to make an armature. And I started doing a male, doing a handstand. But because I didn't understand scale, it just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, in fact, we had to take the window out of the bedroom in order to get it out of out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really a fantastic testimony, isn't it, to, to your mum's um, sort of courage, if you like, to support your, your interests. As you were saying, art isn't the easiest life to have because, of course, Probably most of us were experiencing unwanted footballs coming in through the window as opposed to interesting sculptures being lifted out of the window. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, um, this was such a clear uh, intention of yours, um, this, this, this calling, this intent to be a sculptor, that I understand by the age of 15 you were already accessing adult education and I wondered if you could share um, some of that for the listeners for for listeners to understand how you were really committed to following this calling. Actually I was very lucky because um, I had a history of art teacher um, called Tricia Austin and I had uh, expressed to her that I wanted to be a sculptor and um, she didn't particularly want to teach me when she discovered that I'd come from a convent and she thought all well, convent girls were naughty. But I <laughs> insisted I, I did want um, a need to go to her history of art classes. Um, and she sort of took me under her wing and uh, took me to night classes as well to uh, study figurative sculpture. Um, I mean, to the luck, sometimes we are so lucky with the people we meet. But the extraordinary thing is that all the years afterwards of um, education in, in uh, art schools, I never had uh, such a, a brilliant formal education in figurative sculpture as I got age 15 from her at night school. Um, so I would say she was pivotal um, in my uh, pivotal in my in my art education. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant woman. Yeah, it is so significant, isn't it? As you say, who we may be lucky enough to encounter. Uh, because 15, um, you know, it, it's still very young, isn't it? To be able to make that commitment to your art, but to have people that were helping you develop that art um, so significantly. And interestingly, um, I learned uh, from you through uh, Tricia Austin's uh, book, she explores storytelling in and through space. And that really resonated with me in terms of your recent exhibition, Resilience in Clay. I wondered whether um, there was a sort of relationship there because, of course, Resilience in Clay is representing the life stories of seven people that are having to build their lives again in a new, con- in a new country. 
I think I think um, when we talk about space um, and the fact that um, people in space and people in places are entwined. In fact, being in the cathedral was very important for this exhibition uh, because it was a, a place of uh, higher thinking. It's a uh, it's a place for contemplation. It's um, it's got a it's sitting on a history of incredible artworks. I mean, Chichester Cathedral um, is really the original modern art cathedral. Has a very interesting history of uh, of modern art, and the cathedral and myself wanted um, to use this exhibition as a conduit to look forward, not backwards, and to celebrate the individuals who are living in our communities uh, who have achieved. Um, unique um, individual private um, achievements, not just for uh, being um, bishops or kings or queens or um, high accolade for, uh, you know, other sort of purposes that we often um, create sculptures, portrait sculptures historically for, is to celebrate um, individuals. And this is about celebrating um, individual resilience um, and saying, actually, uh, we celebrate every single person in our community and we're really that um, we are a tolerant society that, that can all learn from each other um, if we actually stop and take time to meet each other and engage with each other. Yes, absolutely. But interestingly, would you say that with your seven sitters, you're the seven people that participated, would you say that it was an easy process? Because I wondered whether becoming the subject of a sculpture is somewhere between frightening and flattering. Yeah, it was very interesting that. Um, I didn't really know what our sitters would gain from the experience when we started. It, it's quite an intense process being sculpted uh, for a portrait. Um, each sitter would be in my studio with me for eight sessions of three hours. Um, and being looked at is very intense experience. Um, so uh, we got to know each other very well um, and a level of sort of... Um, trust builds up within that. Uh, we work very closely on how each individual wanted to be portrayed. We used a word for each person that they wanted to be chosen to represent their strengths um, and their values um, in order to get that emotion and connection and character through in the artwork. Um, so it's a bit like acting. You, you're thinking about the word whilst you're sitting there, which, which means that your face starts betraying that thought um, and I suppose I'm sort of going off the point really here, but, um, so it, yes, it's a very intimidating thing to, to sit. Um, did the sitters gain anything? I think, um, I think they certainly expressed that they gained, um, a, a confidence that came through it. They didn't know if they could do it at the beginning. We certainly said to each sitter, if you want to pull out at any stage, that's absolutely, um, uh, written down in stone that you can withdraw from any point in the process if you don't enjoy it. And we just treaded very carefully and slowly in the sculptures. We would drink a lot of tea and coffee, chat a lot. Yeah. And all of the people that, um, all the people I worked with became very good friends, actually. Yeah, because I imagine you're building a very deep trust process as well, particularly when we're talking about these particular people who have already fled difficult situations, maybe living with deep trauma. Um, there are so many sensitivities. So I imagine trust is really crucial to the process. Yes, and I think what we were very keen to do with this exhibition is make it very optimistic and forward-thinking and looking at the future and our shared values and our shared perspectives. Um, in this exhibition. Um, so we, I never ask any personal questions at all. 
um, to my sitters about um, their history or their past in the same way that I would never ask anybody I meet a personal question. Um, so um, we would, we, what we did is we really focused on the things that made us laugh and made us happy and made us joyous um, throughout this process. Um, so therefore it was very cathartic. Um, uh, and and on looking forward and on optimism and values. I mean, they're, they're things that naturally I think all my sitters have in abundance. Um, they were quite extraordinary. Um, but um, so so therefore, in order to build that trust, is very much based on the fact that we were looking at a very optimistic, not a not a you know not looking to. Um, mind trauma or it's just a, a um it, it was an exhibition that's very much about um our shared humanity um and our shared understanding and feeling a sense of connectedness um about what we all value yeah and i was curious actually that in your process when you're sculpting a portrait as that face as that head starts to really emerge and and is almost effectively looking back at you, yeah. I, I I wondered is there a real moment of impact or or even unexpected impact for you in that process? Absolutely, and and interestingly, um, you, you kind of you fall in love with all of your subjects in in a way that because you you're looking and looking so much that you begin to really read their faces in a way that um, somehow you probably read even more intensely than your own family because you get to really, um, you really get to recognize in the flicker of an eye or a thought process, um, uh, a change in emotion. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, but there is a moment when, when they, when a sculpture takes on its own life and you know, you know, when it's there, um, I don't know, I don't know how you know, but you just do. You're like, okay, got it. Um, in fact, I just work very intuitively. I know to step away. Um, to some point, I go in, I go, right, I've got another day's work on that, and I find myself not touching it, and I go, I know, I know it's done. Um, so I'm there. Yeah. And and I'm interested in the fact that you chose seven sitters for resilience in clay because seven is a spiritual number, and I wondered if you could tell us more about that. Well, I mean, there were several reasons for picking seven. Um, I was thinking about if you are lucky enough um, to be a Muslim who goes to Mecca, then you, you, you walk around um, seven times. Um, there's the seven gates of heaven. It was under the seven windows in the um, in the cathedral, which I kept coming back to. And I was thinking about the seven continents. It's just seven kept playing and playing and playing. Um, I do. So because, um, I, we were representing different religions at the cathedral and celebrating different religions and different faiths. It was very important that it was an opportunity for the cathedral to celebrate different faith and say that all faiths are welcome. Um, um, interestingly, I had gone to Jordan to do a bit of research and to Jerusalem as well to do some research. Um, and, um, when I was in Jordan, I was in, um, one of the mosques and um i saw a piece of stone that was about um uh, the seven the, the the miracle of the seven um the miracle of the seven caves i think it might be called or is it the miracle of the seven shepherds um and so this number just kept coming back and back and back to me um just as i was working on on this uh, on this project yeah, really interesting, isn't it, how the number seven um, has arisen in so many significant ways. And so that really helped sort of stamp, if you like, an identity on, on how you approached this particular exhibition. Well, one of the um, one of the one of the, the interesting thing about um, the that um, those seven caves or the seven I'm sorry I don't know quite I can't remember quite what it's called whether it's the seven caves or the seven shepherds, but the miracle is that um, these seven shepherds um, wanted to uh, wanted to become Christians, but at the time it was illegal for them to do so, forbidden for them to do so, um, and they escaped and went to sleep in a cave. Um, and woke up 300 years later when it was acceptable to become Christians. And because this was in um, 
because this was in a mosque, um, I didn't understand. And I thought there was a communication error. And I was saying, hang on, why is that a miracle to um, Islam? Um, and I hadn't appreciated really before embarking on this journey that um, that actually the first 21 prophets of Islam are all the same prophets as uh, Christian prophets. And that um, that was the miracle, was the, the freedom to uh, to be able to um, follow their 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 given choice of religion um and that that was being celebrated in the mosque so i thought i thought well, that was a really you know it's always a, it's a big learning curve doing these exhibitions and i'm I'm very interested in faith and and, and different faiths and how they coincide and, and how they work together and 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 all of their um their shared their shared values really Yes, and I, I was really interested in in whether you would say um, your relationship with art is spiritual, and depending on how you choose to define spiritual, I, I wondered if you might say um, in your life or, or your artistic practice um, that you're conscious of spiritual encounters in some way. Um. I would, but it's very difficult to sort of explain that. It's a bit like inspiration. You know, it comes to one. Do you know when you have that feeling like if you're, if you think about somebody, they always call you, right? Even if you haven't yeah. spoken to them for 10 years yeah. or, they, or there's something comes up or if you're not listening to your inner voice, you'll find that you keep seeing little signals everywhere that someone's trying to give you a message. So I, I would, de- I would say that um, I am definitely um uh spiritual i don't always label it under a religion and i think that's why i'm so interested in all religions um i mean i went to a convent school so you can't really get away from um thinking about spirituality as part of that yeah it's interesting because um my school um was extremely strict it was a strict state Church of England school and most people assume I went to a very strict Catholic convent because of the traditions and the rules that we followed but in my experience it was so narrow that perhaps what's useful about it is you then want to pursue a far more open and wider interest in all religions in what faith means in what spiritual means would you say that perhaps was almost a springboard for you um that the convent actually just exaggerated almost your your own curiosity or or interest in all faiths i was very anti-religion when i was a convent girl i was very anti all religion um i mean i think that uh, you know uh when I had to go to confession, I would make up confessions. I felt guilty that I didn't have something to feel guilty about. So I'd make up something to confess as a child. Um, so I, I, and, and actually, I used to challenge all religion very much at school. And the nuns were extraordinary because uh, I was taught by nuns. They, they, I mean, they were, they were very intimidating. But actually, um, uh, my religious education was, was fascinating um, because I think all kids challenge. And, and I think that was just sort of part of it. Um, I think that um, I think that I think that religion brings a lot of peace and um, to a lot of people. Um, not everybody needs it, and people find you know what to be spiritual can come from anywhere, really, can't it? It can come from nature. It can come from one's perspective. It, it's so complicated as a subject. Um, I think that um, religions are all been written by man and adapted by man and are written in times that that they get um, they get bound up and uh, and changed and confused um, in in that context. So. Um, I'm not being very eloquent about it, but but basically, I I, um, I think that for those who need religion, it brings great peace, um, and I think it also has brought many wars, as we know, and many conflicts. Um, so it it's that um, it, it it's it's that swing that goes back and forth. Um, I think also what's really interesting about religion is that. Um, the so for example the italian renaissance came out of um all of the medici money and, and pride that is come from power and wealth and religion um, and religion is a 
um, a, a reason to create art for, you know, a lot of the great um, pieces have come out of using um, paintings and sculpture to adorn churches and uh, for people to understand without words and dialect um, and to communicate for those who couldn't read. And, and I think as, as if you go back as long as sort of caveman drawing on the walls, those those were spiritual drawings a lot of we now appreciate and understand. Um, they're not just uh, messages of how many bison they caught that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's a deep, much deeper appreciation of their of their environment. Uh, there was a greater spiritual respect, wasn't there, for the natural environment. So I wonder whether your exposure to um, multiple faiths, um, or all faiths and none, your um, ideas of what spirituality means to you wraps around the courage that you need in your work. Um, as we were saying, being an artist is by no means easy and being an artist that's also interested in themes of conflict around people, around religion, is also difficult. So I'm really interested in where your courage comes from or your resilience comes from in order to keep going. And you have an impressive CV, Kate. There are there are numerous commissions and public art commissions on, on your list. Um, where does, where does... I mean, I agree with you, creativity takes courage. Um, but I think that... Um, it's also something that is is within all of us. Um, you know, it should be accessible to all. Um, and I think that it's something that um, uh, well, I mean, I'd, if I could write, then I would write. So I, I think I think that the it's it's a form of communication isn't it um if i was a good mathematician that would be just as creative um it's just my form of communication um and uh, and it's and it's i i find sort of it easier to to make something um to understand the world around me than i do to talk about it if that makes sense yeah and i think also what's interesting when i explore ideas of courage particularly with artists is that we're not having to define it at one level of life-saving heroics, which of course often are courageous, but it can be as much as honouring your calling or making the right choices. Um, and perhaps, you know, perhaps that's how it relates to you. Um, when I think actually of my interview with um, the world-leading sculptor, uh, Basil Watson, and he does tremendous work um, sculpting civil rights fighters, freedom fighters, people that have broken all the odds in order to commit to what they wanted to achieve around social justice, around equality, for example. But he acknowledges that that is also a hugely draining process not just the physicality of the work but the emotional responsibility the responsibility to honor your subject and it's actually quite fearful and I wondered if that might be something you had in common ah um that's a I mean yes one always feels when they take on a new subject um Am I going to be able to do this subject justice? Um, am I going to be able to um, to uh, am, am I am I going to be able to am I going to be able to uh, step up to the plate for this for this subject matter? Um, the issue is that the the more you immerse, I immerse myself in my subject. I do a lot of research um, before I take on a, a topic, and even if it's say. Um, a piece of public art that um, doesn't necessarily um, like public art is a different thing because it's it's about your audience and what they need and what they require and what you know you're you're a conduit really um, to a subject and so I do a lot of research and immerse myself in a community or an area or a topic 
And the more I understand, that feeds the work. That's when the spirituality comes into it. It just it just starts speaking for itself. Um, so I, I think that you never know what you're going to create when you start creating. Things change and change and change, really. Um, and they take on a life of their own. So that's when you're just um, a craftsman for, for, for the topic, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so... Um, Work that... Sorry, interrupt. Yeah, no, sorry. Carry on. Just carry it's, on. It's just trusting inspiration. You know, you've got to be working for it to knock on the door, haven't you? But you just trust it comes. Yes, and I think that's interesting. Um, and also, it, it it makes me mindful actually that trusting yourself or trusting your inspiration is in itself sometimes a brave act to trust your own instincts. I think perhaps all the research comes through not trusting one's own instincts. <laughs> so the more you know that you understand the the topic, then the more that you feel confident in trusting it. Yeah. As long as you have really engaged with it. Um, and I try and immerse myself. I think that's the thing when you're doing a piece of work, you, you do become completely involved with it. it, it you, you, you can't help but sort of live, breathe, eat and sleep it. Yeah. And, um, and I mentioned, sorry, sorry, I interrupted. No, no, but that that was it really. But so, so therefore, you know, the work just um, take, that's where it takes on a life of its own. But you, I can't do that until I feel that I really have, I, I often I'll think about a piece for a very long time before I make it. Uh, the thinking time is as important as, as much as the research time, post research time, the, the downtime thinking and letting them fil- letting the thoughts filter, giving it space to filter up, if that makes sense. So letting go. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really interested in, actually in how that uh, may have applied to your work, Children Caught in Crossfire. And, and for the listeners, um, I'll just share some context that Children Caught in Crossfire uh, is three sculptures. One is of an African boy who's a victim of famine. One is a Caucasian girl with one leg. And one is a Jewish boy with a patch covering a lost eye. And I wondered, Kate, if you wouldn't mind adding some context to how that particular work came about. And those three choices, were they personal encounters or is that choices from your thinking process? Um, I think really... Well, I mean, <laughs> the sculptures um, are of my children and my godson. Uh, my daughter doesn't have one leg, and my son isn't Jewish and doesn't have a patch over his eye. And my godson is African, but he doesn't have a distended belly from famine. But there are three children I used. My daughter said to me, I can't believe, Mum, I've been asking you to make a sculpture of me for ages, and now you've given me one leg. Um, they were three, it, uh, when they were very young children, I kept looking at them and thinking, uh, what you know, we're in a world where children um, don't understand conflict. I mean, that's sort of just a funny aside, really, because they were the children I used to model it. But the the context was that, um, you know, children are, are all happy to play and enjoy, and they are our future. And actually, it's only um, prejudice are, are taught um, then that you, you aren't born with prejudice or difference. And it's the idea that the children would quite happily be getting along with each other, um, but it's the parents that are creating these, these dramas um, of war and torturous um, outcomes from those dramas that they're creating. And the, um, so it's actually the three children are playing cards and they're playing for peace, but the, the, the cards that they're holding in their hands, one of them represents... Um, uh, there, there are positive cards like uh, food aid, um, medicine francaire, um, and then there are um, there are negative cards um, that are things like um, uh, uh, images of um, uh, bombs and of um, uh, of destruction. Um, and 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 it's and it's it's just like the fact that it's all a game, isn't it? It's a game of power, and it's a game of um, ideals um and actually if we listen to the kids and we 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 wouldn't be in this situation um 
so so um it came about through um i think it came about uh chronologically i i i'm i i created it um just because i kept thinking about this um and watching my very small children playing and then i um it was picked up by um a charity um in northern ireland that uh raises awareness for children who are caught in, in crossfire, to, in conflict. Um, and that's where the piece um, actually went to Northern Ireland. Um, uh, interestingly, when the man rang me, um, I, the, uh, the, um, the chap who rang me about the piece of sculpture um, to ask me for it said to me at the time, um, look, I've heard about this piece and it, it was really odd. I'd finished the sculpture and I'd locked my studio doors and I thought, I wonder where this piece is going to go and what it's about. And I got this phone call from from this chap and he said to me, I'm really interested in um, using this piece for our campaign. And um, I said to him, well, you have to come and see it in that case. And he said, no, 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 I want to purchase it anyway. I don't want to come and see it. And I sort of belligerently said no you have to come and see it because I can't sell you a piece of sculpture that you haven't seen um you might not like it um and then he said to me I'll never see this piece of work because I'm blind and I lost my eyesight in um in the Northern Ireland bombings um on bloody Sunday um and so uh, then I was saying to him okay so is, is are you you know is, is this an international charity or is it just for Northern Ireland in fact no it's an, an international charity um, so that, that's how that piece came about, but he found me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, um, it was quite extraordinary really. Yeah, it really is. And it almost goes back to what we were saying, uh, near the beginning of the interview around, um, how things manifest, you know, you think about someone who then suddenly calls you as one example, but that's a really astonishing manifestation um in terms of you'd already created the work i'd i'd imagine that that may have been a commission purposefully for that campaign because i understand this these sculptures were placed outside of a school in northern ireland in order to raise awareness of the cost of conflict it was about a huge education and purposeful impact particularly in the lives of children that have grown up um, either in troubles or with the history of troubles and trauma running through their families. Yeah, and and I, you know, we we really I think the point of art is that of um, of the applied arts is that with they, they transcend language barriers and people can think and question and. Uh, contemplate um in a very peaceful quiet way through through sculpture in that context um i've had i had i've had some wonderful responses from that piece actually and, and uh, i get a lot of um letters and things about that piece from people um so it you know it it, it, it art can't save us but it certainly can um it can uh, help us all to sit and think um and uh, communicate in uh and, and consider those shared humanities that we all have. Um, yeah. And I'm interested, actually, when you were saying about lovely letters, you know, whether it was Resilience in Clay, which had an absolute outpouring of messages pinned to the to the to the boards nearby um, and the letters you've received through children caught in crossfire. Is, are there perhaps one or two messages that may be unify the majority of messages that there's a sort of universal um response that's maybe stood out to you most oh my goodness um well with with resilience in clay uh we had a lot of um and we had thousands of responses from resilience in clay and letters and um uh uh, people contacting me about that exhibition um we had some lovely ones from people who said that uh they felt very welcome um as a result of uh, seeing the exhibition um we had a lot of people who shared their stories with us and their experiences um we had beautiful ones from children saying um that uh, they they're looking forward to a 
a life of uh, of of more positive outcomes when they grow up what they will do um i got one lovely one actually i've got one right uh, luckily i've got one here in front of me because i i love this one it was um uh, this one was, if life was a ball of clay, we could remould the world and make it a better place without wars and walls. <laughs> and so we had a lot of, a lot on that kind of, um, um, a lot of messages of, um, of, uh, to, to, to the community who we were sculpting and to the sitters of, of welcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how art can create a safe space to share and to actually dismantle so many walls and borders and conflict that surround us, but not by individual choice. It's interesting how art can create a safe space to share and to have exchange. And actually thinking about the school in Northern Ireland and thinking about Chichester Cathedral, would you say that as venues, if you like, um, there was courage shown in order to want to host um, these exhibitions, these opportunities uh, for people to consider what conflict means, what trauma means, and to raise that awareness. Yes, I think. I mean, I think in the example of the cathedral, they were incredibly brave to put that exhibition on. In that, it was in the summer. Um, it cost the cathedral a fortune to keep going. Um, and um, the, they put on that exhibition for three months as a solo exhibition. And it's not a commercial exhibition. It's not bringing any money in for them. So actually, I think they were very brave in putting that exhibition on. Um, and, and I think that um, Anybody who invests in in art is always being brave because there are always many things calling on money. Um, it, arts are very important, but it, you know that so is uh, so are the roads and uh, infrastructures, and um, there is always a big calling for funds. But we do know that actually the environment that we live in um, and are surrounded by um, is is very important for our well being, um, and so. But there's always a big calling on every funding pot. Um, so I, I actually do think it's always brave for, for uh, a, a community to, to invest in art. Yes, it is, it is brave, as you say, when there's competing priorities. But at the same time, I think it's increasingly understood that art as an investment in social cohesion, for example, is as an important part of the infrastructure oh, of it. So, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's, uh, art itself is a spiritual experience, isn't it? And creativity is. Um, and it's an enriching experience. Um, I mean, we know what the benefits are for art therapy for children, but music and writing, um, all of the arts, um, I mean, creativity is just essential. It sort of nourishes the soul. Um, so I think, um, and more and more, it's more and more important every day is, um, because of the world we're in that, um, is so, um, uh, that is so complicated and this act and art actually, um, gives people time to slow down and, um, and take time out and be more mindful. Yeah, and um, I'll quote you because I was really interested. Um, I think it was a blog I was reading and you talked about witnessing the flow of optimism. So even when you're working with people from difficult uh, circumstances, for example, you felt witness to the flow of optimism. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, part of behind this exhibition, we were... Um, we were, there was a stitched piece of community work that was done by all of the beneficiaries of Sanctuary and the volunteers of Sanctuary. Chichester is a city of Sanctuary and Sanctuary is a nationwide charity that supports um, refugees and asylum seekers who come to the UK. And uh, once people have got their basic needs met um, of uh, housing or um 
uh, they, they then um, help support people in helping them to integrate into the community and, um, and making their lives more fulfilling. They, they do so many things. It's, that's a whole hour's conversation. They're an amazing charity. But we looked at um, uh, creating a piece of sewing that um, as a way of communicating our shared values. Um, and in fact, we work particularly with uh, women um, men were involved too, but we wanted the reason we picked stitch work is because some of the women I'd been working with and I realized they couldn't write in their own languages um, what they wanted, how they wanted to express themselves uh, because they didn't have um, an education that meant that they could write and they hadn't had those opportunities. Um, but what they did have is incredible stitch work skills. So we um, created. Um, a stitch work piece about shared values or new values. And one of the really interesting things that um, came out that, I mean, we always learn something every day, don't we? But when we were talking about what, um, what I mean, what these values were that we, that we most treasured, um, optimism was one that again and again and again kept coming back. And I was thinking, I, you know, I believe in optimism. Um, I am I am an optimist, but I don't. I hadn't ever considered it as a value, one that one would teach. Um, and actually, it's very much considered a value that one needs to teach. And I think it's a value we've sort of forgotten about to teach in in a way. Um, uh, the other one was hospitality, and how important hospitality is. Um, and and I know that when um, through sanctuary I go to a house of any of the beneficiaries, um, the first thing everyone will do is make sure that I have a drink and something to eat. And also, um, when I was doing these sculptures of the heads, everybody was making sure they were looking after after my needs and making sure that I was fed and watered. And I was like, hang on a minute, that's my role for you. But people would always bring me food and drinks and make sure that, uh, you know, I would find little... Um, parcels of food and things for me because they know that when I'm working I'm not paying attention <laughs> so I forget to eat and things so uh, but hospitality and optimism and, and interestingly enough throughout that project I kept thinking about what are what you know like if we give them one value what is the most important value you know we, we like there are so many but um at uh, one stage for me it's like well it's education because we are so lucky to have it and it's so important um but actually, I think it is optimism. Not that I could be pinned down to one quite so simply, but optimism is so important in life. And we need it more and more nowadays because life's more and more confusing for, for youth, um, particularly. You know, it's a difficult world for them to grow up in at the moment. Yeah, for sure. And so if we think about um, a very powerful piece of your work, female crucifixion, what value or values were you approaching that work with? Because to go from optimism to the idea of female crucifixion, could you tell us what your um, approach was and what your message was in that piece? Well, that was really a response. It was a response to um, it was a response to many things. Actually, um, I had. Um, I'd been reading about um, the artworks on the, the medieval um, carvings in the pulpits in churches, and, and, and I was quite shocked by how misogynistic and sort of aggressive they were. Um, and the fact that um, the sort of it, – it's about also the um, saccharine approach we have for um, – for women within the church um, the portrayal of them and the fact that women were crucified by the Romans um, and the fact that women do crucify them or every day are crucified by um, wars and um, what they um, have had to give up. It's a very much a feminist piece. Um, but it's, um, I think the, the, the crux of what actually started that piece is that I had, been horrified one morning about a woman who'd stepped onto a bus um, with a, a bomb attached to her um, uh, for her 
beliefs, and I'm sure that she had probably been asked to strap that bomb to her for by 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 men. Um, I don't know that, but um, it's often the case um, that they're fulfilling the roles that they've been asked to fulfil. Women, and and, um, and I suppose it's really about um, the female experience, um, uh, and and the fact that, as I say, women were crucified um, by the Romans. Yeah, because um, when I was looking at at this this piece and um, thinking about female crucifixion, I felt it could be very much a statement to gender violence that escalates in wars, but also gender violence is, uh, it, through oppression. So, for example, if we think about the women of Afghanistan now, who are virtually crucified because they are denied all rights to their own lives. Um, and that was how I found myself reflecting um, on the piece. But at the same time, it's quite interesting when you reflect on the idea of crucifixion and, of course, rising again, or feminist statements, still we rise, or the optimism of rebirth. Yeah, and dare to, and dare to be free. Um, as as a, um, a suffrage uh, um, statement, the thing the thing is though, what we mustn't forget is that um, men too, like women, like if you're talking about, um, you know, with, with um, gender trauma, I mean, like um, uh, FMG, of, you know, um, female circumcision is something that women do on women, um, and. Um, so and also there are plenty of because although I am I do think about um, the female experience a lot at being a female um, our young men are also equally incredibly vulnerable um, and that piece often I'm also thinking about the fact that um, how it would be to see one's son or one's child go to war or be you know that that's also um the what we what we are giving up um i'm not being very articulate like this but but you know it it is um it is really important to remember that this is not all a a, a, a crime of male of men it, it, we, we, men are also just as tortured and um uh and um tormented by uh by by the world that um they have to they have to live in you know the the i i feel for a lot of the men in afghanistan at the moment you know they how they they have to conform they don't want their women not to be educated or that um they have to uh beard their face or not um or cut their hair in a certain way or hold their women at home and not let their women out you know from fear um it, it, there's there's no winners in this situation, and it and it's um it's an impossible situation. Yeah, and it takes us back um, to the importance of struggle, doesn't it? In terms of every scenario of conflict, of wars, discrimination, inequality. Uh, Struggle is always at the core, it seems to be at the core of our histories and of our contemporary lives. And I understand that your current commission is based around the suffragists and we can make the distinction of suffragists to suffragettes. And I wondered if you could tell us about that, Kate. Well, really interestingly, I mean, initially, um, I mean, they all came together very much at the end. But um, the initial distinction um, between the suffragists and the jet suffragettes was uh, um, suffragists. Sorry, I can't speak properly. Was that um, the suffragists believed in peaceful um, protest and. They weren't militant in their approach. Um, likewise, they also believed in uh, the right to vote for all women for equality, not just educated women. You know, um, it, it's although um, we uh, had um, the right to vote um, 
in uh, 1918, that was only for women over 30, and it was for um, wasn't until 1928 we got the equality voting rights, which um, which is extraordinarily late, isn't it? Yeah, it's staggering. It's so it's so recent. It is staggering. Yeah, yeah, extraordinary. Um, but also, it's like the rights of the child. You know, child human rights are so important. Um, um, and 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 I suppose um, that those are um, all things that get forgotten um, um, in in cases of war. And um, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, the, 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 we, that it's so important to listen to children and give them a voice, and they don't have to be seen and not heard. As as certainly um, my generation was taught to grow up as being seen and not heard. Yeah, and it's a really significant reference because, of course, um, this season, season five, is published on World Children's Day, which is November the 20th. And I think um, it's really um, a strong opportunity um, to acknowledge how arts and culture is important for children, uh, for expression, for representation, for being able to dialogue even without language, for example. And when you look, when you look at the suffragists and the suffragettes, interestingly, as children, of course, as you just said, it would have been very much be seen and not heard. So it's very, very uh, powerful stuff, isn't it, when individuals and people collectively rise together and for the purpose of humanity, for social justice, for equality. Yeah, and I think I think that um, to sort of sum up the title of what your your um, podcast is about is that you know there are so many social benefits from from art. Um, I know you're interested in mindfulness, and that's really important. Um, exercising different parts of the brain, and children are all all born with creativity, um, and it's educated out of them. And I think it's such a shame, you know. Um, uh, we all we all have the same sort of proclivity to um, creativity. Um, and it, it, it doesn't matter that what makes someone a great artist doesn't need to be because they get financial sort of uh, uh, remuneration. But it, it, in fact, it, it's something that is accessible to all and enriches everyone's lives. And children, um, I think that they're not getting as many opportunities as they were at school to be creative. And I think the schools are... Um, missing a trick there yeah yeah uh, absolutely although I feel the schools are um, heavily burdened of course by cutbacks Um, so um, you know losing uh, arts uh, subjects and, and not by choice Um, And I'm really interested to reflect on this series question with you, Can Art Save Us? And interestingly, to include um, that perspective um, on children, um, because how do we learn to be open or the playfulness of curiosity in order to practice healthy openness because the word curiosity can be so prejudiced as nosy and curiosity killed the cat but actually is that a convenient way to deny the idea of healthy curiosity the importance of openness and the vital importance of the arts to encourage that openness it's absolutely essential um, I mean, not everybody um, will excel in um, reading and writing, uh, although that is, of course, another form of creativity that's just as important as in, you know, even maths is a creativity. Um, science is a creative. But but the ability to play, to get lost, to get bored, um, to discover oneself through making, um, uh, whether it be music or writing or and, and it makes us understand um, ourselves and understands the, the part of humanity that we're around and experience um, I just I mean I think it's absolutely essential um, and I think it's a shame that we are educated out of creativity I mean they say they say that um, uh, there is research now that 
everybody is actually born with an ability to sing in tune. I mean, I I don't know where I read that, but you know, I can't I can't hold a tune at all. But wow, I wish I'd kept going and been able to. Um, and whether or not people think that they don't understand art because of hierarchies and boundaries that are sort of put in place, which is just, you know, it's not there to be understood. It's there to be enjoyed. Yes. And, and would you say that the arts um, also enable, if you like, a welcoming of neurodiversity because boundaries and labels and assumptions about all of our different abilities can be far too narrow. Absolutely. I mean, we, we know that, um, you know, if you have a disability of you, you, you develop skills in another area to, con- to compensate them. So whether it's a neurodiversity or a physical disability, um, the muscles be it in the brain or the body stretch to, um, to compensate those initial difficulties. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the more offices begin to understand um, the, the importance of being inclusive. And I think we're, we're learning it, but by, by, you know, by Jove's, there's so much to be gained from by um, actually accessing and listening to what the, um, the lessons that have been learned by people who are living with all of these um, different strengths as well as um, uh, disadvantages um, are, are something we can all gain from. And, and creativity is a brilliant way. I mean, the create, you know, offices have to be more and more creative. Um, governments have to be more and more creative. Uh, you know, there's, there's, we've got to find another way of, uh, of, of uh, evolving, haven't we? It can't all be for profit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we shouldn't be in the business, I think, of um, isolating and alienating um, subjects, uh, making subjects divisive in terms of so-called value. So the current government will refer to the arts as soft subjects, for example. And yet we know the life of an artist is incredibly difficult and a lot of courage can be involved and the subjects that artists deal with are by no means soft so there are some very strange prejudices prejudiced labels that have emerged yeah I mean I think that's because educationally we tend to look at you know uh, industrial revolution okay let, let, let's um, educate people into engineering um, so we 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 formulate our education system on the jobs that we think are needed at the time um, around that um, at the costs of the arts and the arts have always been um, sort of second fiddle haven't they um, to uh, what is seen as the more important subjects. But creativity feeds the soul. It certainly makes people question, um, evolve, um, and uh, enriches all our lives. A, a, a world without music and art and literature, I cannot imagine, and theatre, and um, we, we'd, we'd, um, we wouldn't have much purpose as far as I can see. <laughs> and, you know, understanding all of those, uh, those things that make us laugh and cry and, and come in touch, they, they bring us, uh, they bring us together. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, unfortunately, um, I know we have absolutely flown through our hour, <laughs> um, but it's been, you know, an absolute pleasure to to talk to you and to to get more of your insights i just wondered briefly um what might be next i know we we mentioned your commission uh, on the suffragists is there something um we can look out for look forward to i will signpost your website on your episode page for uh listeners to find out more um but is there something we can look forward to is the suffragists um the next project uh yeah i've got um three projects on the go at the moment uh, that are all quite um large projects uh there's another one that i'm working on um that is uh about human connection um and i'm working with a, a curator on that um so that's quite exciting so i won't say yeah. any more yet not to tempt uh, yeah uh, we're, we're not um fully evolved but that's a lovely collaborative piece I, I think the art that's collaborative is is um 
is really exciting. So that's something I'm working on about about uh, relationships, basically, and human connection. Yeah, wonderful. So um, the best thing for the listeners is to keep an eye on your uh, web link, which will be on your episode page. And if you don't mind, Kate, let's give a shout out to your mum for having <laughs> the courage and maybe the sense of humour to take out your bedroom window for a giant sculpture to be able to exit the house. And in fact, perhaps open that window onto your life as a sculptor. So a shout out to mum. Definitely to my mum and to all the mums out there, by the way, you're all doing a great job. My grandmother used to say, if you don't get it right, you're only doing your best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also um, a, a word of wisdom from my mum is... If you want to do it, do it because who's going to do it for you? So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kay. Um, I do really seriously appreciate this time um, in, when you have such a busy schedule. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insights with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for um, having such a lovely chat. I've really enjoyed it, Paula. I look forward to listening to the rest of this series. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Kay. Bye for now.